Third John. You know, it's funny because when I first looked at First John and began to, to read and study out of First John, I thought, well, this will be one service, this will be one week, we'll, we'll get through the book of Third John. And um, this morning when I got up and began to study and began to put things down, I kind of felt God leading me in a different direction that uh, was kind of unexpected. I uh, don't know that I've ever preached a message on this subject, ever. Um, but it, it's almost a lost art, and uh, I, I believe it's, it's very uh, prevalent in the, in the book of Third John, this idea, this thought, and I think it's something that we as a church need to get back to, and uh, it's old school, it's, it's, you know, it's outdated, but it's wonderful, and, uh, and so today, uh, as I was thinking about it, um, first thing that came to my mind was when was the the last time you received a handwritten personal letter you know now we 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 receive text messages we receive emails we receive facebook messages but when was the last time that you received a handwritten personal letter now for some of the ladies they received handwritten personal letters when they went uh, to ashes to beauty and um, and so for them it was it was just very recent but before that when was it the last time that you received a handwritten letter Janice says this week that's awesome and my then my next question and when was the last time you ever wrote a handwritten letter where you actually sat down, put your thoughts down on paper, and then had it delivered to that person that you were writing it to. Now, once again, for those of us who wrote letters to those ladies, um, I wrote a, a letter to my wife, and uh, I can't remember the last time I wrote a letter to anybody. Um, but about once a month, I receive a, a, a handwritten letter typically handwritten. I think, the matter of fact, it's kind of odd. The last letter I received uh, was actually a typed letter. Um, but I, I, about once a month, I receive a handwritten letter from the Pitsons. They're always very grateful for the offering that we take up for them, and then they will tell stories and testimonies of things that they've, they've gone through, good, the bad, the ugly, uh, and they'll just kind of share their heart in appreciation for, and then they always tell us how much they love our church and how grateful they are uh, to be in partnership with this church. And so about once a month, I receive a letter um, from the Pitsons. Um, now, over the years, I have saved many handwritten letters. Um, I still have letters that I received from my wife when we were dating. From 33 years ago. Uh, now that was before cell phones. Um, anyone remember long distance phone calls? Yeah, that wasn't happening. My dad wasn't paying for me to call some girl down in Ava, Missouri. Um, because they cost extra. 
So guess who didn't get to make long-distance phone calls? This guy right here. Didn't make long-distance phone calls. So I actually had to check the mail every day hoping to hear from my girlfriend that lived in Ava. Talk about a long-distance relationship. There it was. Now, this is the thing. When my wife wrote a letter, she wrote whatever crossed her mind. No matter how random or how odd it seemed, she would write it down. And I remember very specifically, there's one letter. I have no idea what the letter, everything in the letter was about. She was telling me about her friends. She was telling me about things that happened in school, things that happened in bad. And right in the middle of that letter, right in the middle of her telling me about all of this stuff, she says, oh, my goodness, I'm being attacked by a killer moth. Right in the middle of her conversation. I'm being attacked by a killer moth. I, and I suppose it didn't get her because she's still with us today. But 33 years later, I still remember that part of her letter. I still remember that silly part in that sentence, that one sentence I remember. I still have letters from when I served in the Middle East during Desert Storm. The bottom drawer of my dresser is full of letters and cards and things that I have received over the years. Letters from my kids, birthday cards, Father's Day cards, anniversary cards, letters. I have all of these in the bottom drawer of my dresser. Now, I have a letter I'm going, to re- I'm going to read to you, a letter I, I hope that I actually never receive. If it'll come up for me this morning. Technology is great when it works. All right. Any time now. I hope it comes up soon. It's got all my ma- all my verses on there too. For years I actually never realized that that most of the Second Testament, most of the New Testament, were letters. I never realized that. I never understood that. Um, I never understood that they were personal letters that were written to real churches, that were written to real congregations. Um, I guess I always thought that they were just a collection of short books, that were inspired by God, inspired men to write uh, these short books for mankind. Um, and I guess I was, I was partially right. Uh, I guess it really 
blew my mind, my mind when I actually realized that not only were some of these letters written to churches, that they were also written to individuals, to single people, that were written to, to one person. And we are able to get these letters and to, to glean from them the things that we need to pull out of these letters. And here's a letter we can try to glean from. Dear wife, I'm writing you this letter to tell you that I'm leaving you forever. I've been a good man to you for seven years, and I have nothing to show for it. These last two weeks have been horrible. Your boss called to tell me that you quit your job today, and that was the last straw. Last week you came home and didn't even notice that I had a new haircut, that I had cooked you your favorite meal, and I even wore a brand new pair of silk boxers. You ate in two minutes and went straight to sleep after watching all your soaps. You don't tell me that you love me anymore. You don't want to make love or anything that connects us as husband and wife. Either you're cheating on me or you don't love me anymore. Whatever the case, I'm gone. Signed, your ex-husband. P.S. Don't try to find me. Your sister and I are moving away to West Virginia together to have a great life. Dear ex-husband, nothing has made my day more receiving more than receiving this letter. It's true, you and I have been married for seven years, although a good man is a far cry from what you've been. I watch my soaps so much because they drown out your constant whining and griping. Too bad that doesn't work. I did notice when you got your haircut last week, but the first thing that came to my mind was, you look just like a girl. Since my mother raised me not to say anything, if you can't say something nice, I didn't comment. And when you cooked my favorite meal, you must have gotten me confused with my sister because I stopped eating pork seven years ago. About those new silk boxers, I turned away from you because... The $49.99 price tag was still on them, and I prayed that it was just a coincidence that my sister had just borrowed $50 from me that morning. (laughs) And after all of this, I still loved you, and I felt that we could work it out. So when I hit the lotto for $10 million, I quit my job. I bought us two tickets to Jamaica. Jamaica, man. But when I got home, you were gone. Everything happens for a reason, I guess. I hope you have the fulfilling life that you always wanted. My lawyer said that this letter will assure that you won't get a dime from me. So take care. Signed, your ex-rich free wife. P.S. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my sister Carla was born Carl. I hope that's not a problem. (laughs) 
So Wednesday, Wednesday night in our Bible study, we talked about how refreshing that it was when you study the, the Bible and you realize that God used normal people. When he had the, the scripture written down, he used normal people like you and me to put these words together, to do his work. We have a tendency to put these, these people on a level that's almost equal with God, that we think that they were some type of superhuman people. But as we study, we realize how jacked up most of them really were. They really had some real issues. And most of the churches had some real issues that they had to deal with. Now, 3 John is one of those personal letters to an individual who is dealing with another individual that is causing trouble in the church. Refusing hospitality was this man's problem. Running people off because they offered hospitality. And then bad-mouthing the Apostle John. That's what this troublemaker was doing. And John promised that he would deal with it personally when he arrives. But before he does that, he wants to encourage Gaius for all that he was doing for the kingdom of God. You see, 1 John was written to the church in general. It was just a generalized letter for the church. Second John was written to an anonymous elect lady. And then in Third John, Third John is the most personal letter of them all. And it's not often that we get to read a whole book in one of our Sunday get-togethers so today, we're going to do that just that. We're going to read a whole book of the Bible. Third John, because I want to keep everything in context here. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, Thou shalt do well, because that is for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith, neither doeth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would, that would and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, 
Follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. Helping strangers. And as I said, I I don't believe I've ever preached a message on hospitality. But the more I got into it this morning, the more I started reading this and the more I started studying and I seen the importance of hospitality and how it attaches itself to the Christian life and how important it is as you study the word of God. It gives us many references, which we're going to look at this morning, how important hospitality is for Christians, not just to 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 give hospitality, but also to receive hospitality. Helping strangers. You know, I know that that helping strangers today in any way is scary. And it can actually be dangerous. Uh, I have a strict policy that when I'm driving down the road, if I have my family with me, I don't stop to help people. I just don't. You can't trust people. I'm sorry. You know, hopefully they got a phone. Hopefully they can call for for somebody to come help them. But if I have my family with me, if I have my wife with me, if I have my grandkids with me, I just do not stop. I think that's being smart. It's not to put my family in any type of danger or any situation. like. Now, if I'm on my own, if I'm by myself, I look at the situation and, and, and hopefully I have uh, enough common sense to realize when something doesn't look right, but I will stop and help because I've been that person broke down. I've been that person that needed help. And I I don't ever expect my wife to stop, ever, for anybody, unless you know them. Now, that's different. That's, That's a completely different situation. If you know that person and you trust that person, uh, that's completely different. Um, and my home, my home is always open to those people I know, always. If I know you, if I love you, if I trust you, my doors are always open, always. Now, I am very selective about who comes into my house if I don't know those people. Now, if they're coming with somebody that I do know who trusts them, who has, has given that approval of, and then they're more than welcome. They're, they're accepted to come into my house at any time. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Dale Morissette and his wife, Lynette, had, vo- had visited here at the church. It's actually been probably a month or two ago, the first time they came to visit. And um, after church, we, we was at the back door, and, and we were all planning on going and eating lunch over at Larry and Janice's. Uh, Larry had fixed lunch, and, and so anyway, I told Dale, I said, well, you guys need to come eat lunch with us. He's like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. And I said, well, we're going to go over to Larry and Janice's. I said, he has lunch fixed. And he's like, well, well, don't you need to ask him? I said, no, it'll be fine. 
I said, there'll be plenty. I said, I guarantee, I said, I guarantee you Larry is not worried about me bringing somebody to the house. I said, he, if he wanted to bring somebody to my house, he would bring somebody to my house. If I want to bring somebody, and he, it just, he asked me at least three or four times, are you sure it's okay? Is, are you sure it's okay? And I said, Dale, it's, it's absolutely all right. I said, I promise you there will be plenty. And if not, we'll go get more. We know where the store is. We know where McDonald's is. We've showed up with a box full of tacos if we have to from Taco Bell. But there will always, nobody will leave our house hungry. I guarantee it. Or your money back. But it just blew his mind that I wasn't even going to go talk to Larry about it. I wasn't even going to go ask him about it. Now, a couple of weeks later, when he brought the older couple with him, and, and we planned ahead. He let me know they were coming. I said, you guys need to eat lunch with us. They said, that would be great. And I let Larry know. Once again, Larry was cooking lunch that day. And I let Larry know. I said, listen, we're going to have four other people come with us. And he said, bring them on. And we went over and we had lunch and we sat around and we fellowshiped with one another. Now, those of us who get together on Sunday afternoon to eat lunch, Usually my wife and I and Larry and Janice and, and uh, my daughter and, and Ransom, they come and, and we usually get together and we eat lunch every Sunday. That's, that's just what we do. Um, but we can invite anybody we want. Sometimes I invite Jay and Ronnie. Sometimes we, Misty and Shannon used to come to the house. Uh, you know, it, it didn't matter. Whoever showed up, we just opened the door and we let them come in and there's never a question of whether there was going to be enough. There was never that thought. There was never a worry about that. Whoever wants to come eat lunch, come eat lunch. We got plenty. And if we ain't got plenty, we'll get more. And we love that. Absolutely love that. We love getting together. We love sitting down and talking about the church service or about the Sunday school class or about what's going on in our life. We love that. It is never a problem. It is never a burden, ever a burden. But I feel like that is lost today. The hospitality is lost in our society. Now, for us, and when I say us, I'm talking about believers, hospitality is biblical. It's even a duty if you look at Scripture. You see, for the travelers in John's day... It was a necessity. They had to have people that they could come and room with. Strangers would come uh, because there were no Super 8s back then. There were no good motels that you could go to, not like we have today. Back then, most of the inns that existed were just a little bit more than rodent-infested whorehouses is all they were. And the innkeepers, they were dishonest pimps is what they were. And it was a necessity. You had to open your home to strangers to let these, these evangelists or these preachers or these, these Christians come into your house whether you knew them or not. 
They would have some type of identification, whether it be a coin or something that they would carry with them to show as they came into your house so that you knew that you were letting the right person into your home. But you always opened your home to the strangers. You always did that. Now, the First Testament gives us many examples of hospitality. Many examples. Melchizedek to Abraham in Genesis 14, 18. Abraham fed the Lord and two angels in Genesis 18, 1 through 18. Lot took two angels into his house in Genesis 19, 1 through 3. Laban to Abraham's servant in Genesis 24, 31 through 33. Jethro to Moses in Exodus 2, 20. Samson's parents also uh, took in the angel of the Lord in Judges 13, 15. The old man in Gibeah took a Levite in in Judges 19, 15, and verses 20 and 21. The Shunammite woman took in Elisha in 2 Kings 4, 8. And Job used his hospitality as a defense for his integrity. Listen to what he says. He says, but no stranger, this is Job 31, 32. But no stranger had to spend the night in the street, for my door was always open to the traveler. That was Job's defense into his integrity. He said, one of the reasons you know that I have not sinned in my life and that I am right with God is because no stranger ever had to sleep on the street. I let him into my house at my expense, at my cost. I let them in my home. And then hospitality in the New Testament, in the Second Testament. Jesus charged the 70 in Luke chapter 10, 4 through 7. Listen to what he said to the 70 as he sent them out. He says, listen, carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter first, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. So Jesus told him, he said, listen, you go out expecting hospitality. You go out expecting the people to take care of you. Don't carry a lot of things with you because the people of God will take care of you. Their hospitality will open their homes, and when you go into their homes, you eat whatever they have, you drink whatever they have to drink, and you bring blessings upon that home. And if they are men and women of God, they will receive those blessings. And if not, those blessings will come back to you. Now, there are also many examples in the Second Testament, of Jesus receiving hospitality. He received hospitality from Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 5 through 7. The Samaritan village of Sychar in John 14, or in 440. Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7, 36. Another Pharisee in Luke 14, 1. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Luke 10, 38. Simon the leper in Matthew 26, 6, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 29, and 30. 
The, the, the apostles also enjoyed hospitality. Paul and his roadies received hospitality from Lydia in Acts 16, 14, and 15. Peter with Simon the Tanner in Acts 9, 43, and with Cornelius in Acts 10, 24, and through 33. Paul and his group also received uh, hospitality from the jailer at Philippi in Acts 16, 34, from Jason in Acts 17, 5 through 7, Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18, 1 through 3, Titius Justus in Acts 18, 7, Philip the Evangelist in Acts 21, 8, Manasseh in Acts 21, 16, Publius in Acts 28, 7. You see, hospitality is a Christian duty according to the Word of God. In Romans 12, 13, Paul said that we should be practicing hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 10, he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. He had to throw that in there, didn't he? Without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God, grace in its various forms. He said, listen, one of the gifts that you have is the ability to show hospitality to those around you. Use whatever God has given you to serve others. And Hebrews 13, 2 gives us this somber warning. Now listen to this. I want you to think about this. Hebrews 13, 2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Why? For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Mm. Now, in Timothy 5.10, Paul listed as a requirement for a widow to be put on the list, and that is the list for the church to take care of that widow. One of the things that he required was is that they had shown hospitality to strangers. If they expect generosity from the church... They, in their previous life, the life before this time, must have shown hospitality to strangers. Elders, one of the qualifications for elders was that they had to be hospitable. And that's 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.8. Now listen, this letter can be broken down into three sections. The first one is Gaius who gave hospitality. The second one is Diotrephus, who refused to give hospitality, and Demetrius, who received hospitality. That's the three levels that we have in this book, in this, this letter. Now, as we started that letter, the elder... Don't you wish that today that's how people would start their conversation with you, whether it's a letter or it's on the phone or it's on Facebook? Don't you wish that they would start out with, hey, this is Bobby. 
and I'm writing this to my brother Shannon. Wouldn't that be beneficial? You see, sometimes we get ourselves in trouble when our phone calls and our texts are started without that identification. They will start giving you this conversation, and you have no idea who you're talking to. You have no idea who you're talking to. Here, oh, a year or two ago, I received a message. And that message, at the top of it, had my wife's name. And it said, could you imagine if there was two of me? Well, could you imagine if I had two of my wife? I said, you know what? If there was two of you, I said, we could make love every day. And instantly, my wife sends a a message to me, and she said, this is a group text. (laughs) I said, you can't tell me that after I send the message. She said, it was a group text sent by my mother. I said, oh, I take it back. I take it back. Why didn't she tell me it was from my mother? They said, well, at least we know you love your wife. Yeah, that makes it wonderful. But John starts with the elder. He identifies himself in the beginning as the elder. Now, as we mentioned last time that that we, uh, in, in 2 John, he started the book with the elder. Now, this probably refers not so much to his age, but to his status. He was the last remaining apostle. He was the elder. It was probably a a term of endearment. He is the elder. He's the last of the apostles, the last one who walked with Jesus Christ. He is the last, the elder. And then he says, I'm writing this letter to Gaius. Now, we don't know much about Gaius. Uh, We found uh, Gaius is a very popular name at this time. There are actually several Gaiuses that we find throughout the Second Testament. Um, We do know that he was probably a leader in the church, um, someone that John knew very well. And John goes on to say that he was well-beloved, well-beloved. Now, this tells us a lot about this man. Number one, that he was loved greatly by the Christian community that was around him. He was well-beloved. The people in the church loved him and wanted to be around him, wanted to be a part of his life. It also tells us that he was loved by the Lord, that God loved him, that he was a Christian, a strong believer in Christ. And we also know this, that he was loved by John. He was loved by John. But this is a unique love. A love that believers have for those who are in Christ and who are faithful to the truth. Listen, there are those of you in this church that I am especially drawn to. Why? Because you 
have a commitment to the truth. Your dedication to following God's word, your hunger to understand the deeper things of God, we are like two magnets that draw together. I feel this draw to people who love God's word. I have a love for people who try to live God's word to the best of their ability, who have a hunger to learn more things about God. I feel this attraction to them. And there are many that I feel that attraction to, that I'm drawn to because of their relationship with God's word, because of their relationship with God. I feel a natural attraction to them. Now, if you take one of those magnets and you turn it around, what happens? They start pushing away from each other. That's what I feel when I get around people who claims to be a Christian and is not committed to the truth. Their life looks more like the world, and they rarely come to church to study God's Word. I find myself pushing away from those type of people. But John says, Gaius is the type that I feel that attraction, that love, that love draws me to him because of his commitment to the truth. Now, today is we're going to stop right there because John is going to shift gears. He's going to turn some things around. But I just felt today that I wanted to encourage us in this idea of hospitality. Not just that we extend hospitality, but that we receive hospitality with graciousness. That we allow people to be hospitable to us as well as 